Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to episode 63 of Beyond the Rut, the weekly podcast about inspiring and equipping you to make your own path and live the life you've always dreamed of beyond the rut. This week, we have TEDx speaker and leadership consultant, Amy Cunningham, and she's going to share with us a topic that's near and dear to her heart, and that's compassion fatigue. So we're going to talk with her about what is it, what does it look like, and how you can take care of yourself so that compassion fatigue does not happen, and if it does, it doesn't lead to burnout. We're also going to ask her about her TEDx experience and how she wound up getting onto the TEDx San Antonio event in 2016 and how that's opened doors for her. So sit back and listen to this episode. Here we are at another episode of Beyond the Rut. Brandon is still with us. He hasn't left and he hasn't kicked me off the show yet. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm awesome. My favorite part is when you count down three, two, one. Yeah. Sometimes that makes the outro like Easter egg because, uh, you know, we say some goofy stuff. I feel like an astronaut. You do? <laughs> I, we got to have a rocket and we just launch it. Yeah. <laughs> Blow stuff up. I'll be on the run. Cool deal. And uh, as we said in the intro, we do have with us TEDx speaker Amy Cunningham. Amy, how are you doing right now? I'm fantastic. Thank you. How are you? Good. We are doing well. And I mean, we didn't tell you this before we started recording, but you were officially the third person to call into our show from a hotel room out of state. Oh, really? Yes. We're, we're becoming like ESPN. We've got all these stats and stuff. <laughs> this is also the first time we've had, or no, it's the second time we've had two Cunninghams on the show because Maddie did a show with me when we went uh, to That's right. Colorado, your daughter. So. That's true. All right. So you're the second Cunningham. Um, in the year 2016. There we go. We'll get, there you go. Get baseball specific there. Everything's better with two Cunninghams. <laughs> so, uh, Amy, I gave you a heads up. I was going to ask you an icebreaker question for those listening. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Listen. So, I am. <laughs> so this is what's going to happen. Brandon doesn't even know this is coming. So I'm going to ask you a question, Amy. And then uh, once you answer it, I'm going to turn it to Brandon. And Brandon's got to decide if what you just told us is fact or fiction. Okay. All right. And I call this game Six Degrees of Separation, Fact or Fiction. Wow. The game probably already exists, but <laughs> I, I just thought of it right now. Just invented it. Just invented it. Patent pending. All right. I'm turning in the copyright after the show. All right. So here we go. Amy, Six Degrees of Separation, how is it that you are connected to Renee Zellweger? Go. All right. So I don't know if I can actually reach like Six Degrees. But I have just a few. So I grew up in California. Um, my whole family is from California. And as you know, there's a lot happening as far as movie stars and so forth in California. So actually, I have a friend um, and her cousin's brother's friend, um, knows Renee Zellweger, along with a few other celebrities because she does makeup there in Hollywood. So... Um, I don't know. What is that? Four degrees of separation? Does See, that I, work? I heard a cousin's brother's friend who does makeup for the stars. Yeah. So in that case, less than six would be better than six because it's a closer kind of thing. All right. So I'm going to say fact. All right. Brandon says fact. Is he right? 
not right. <laughs> I just totally made it up off the cuff. Sorry, I feel really guilty about oh. lying. Brandon, you suck. Well, thanks for being on the show, Amy. We'll see you later. <laughs> Uh, so I've been trying to convince our listeners that Brandon is this huge Renee Zellweger fan. I've, I, well, that started about a month, month and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, all because Brandon asked me if Liv and I were going to see Bridget Jones's baby. And uh-huh. then, and then the it just movie, hit me. I'm not like, her actual baby. But not her actual baby, no. <laughs> but the movie that's coming out. Yes. And so that was it. Right then and there, I said, you know what? The world is going to believe Brandon Cunningham is a huge Renee Zellweger fan. Uh, and I think, given another year, they're going to think you're the president of the fan club. I'm trying to. The problem is her president, current president, I'm thinking has financial problems. So I'm going to try to take her down so I can become okay. the president of her fan club. Just remind her of Sel- what happened to Selena. And yeah. oh, that's too, yeah. too, it's an election year. I think, you know, you can just throw as much dirt as you want at your opponent. <laughs> so I'm going after her. This is the year to do that. Uh, all right. Well, th- Amy, thank you for indulging me on that. Brandon, thanks for taking a crack at it, even though um, you-, you couldn't read her at all. She sounded so convincing. Yeah. Though. Did you actually grow up in California? I did. That was true. So I started with truth and then moved on to lies. That's always oh. good. So where in California? So I grew up in a little town called Newman, California. It's um, very close to Modesto. That's kind yeah. of our biggest town. I love Newman. That is one of the best places in California. Most people don't even know that. I was in the Coast no. Guard in Alameda, California. I was about to say fiction. Spent I'm like, whatever. a lot of time in Newman. <laughs> Wow, yeah. So when I was there, there were about 2,000 people there. So it's a teeny little place, but it's adorable. What year did you leave? I left um, a long time ago <laughs> when I was 17. I was so, there probably uh, in 91, 92. Yeah, probably somewhere around, let's see, I guess it was maybe 94. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. Cool. That was yeah. actually the year I started going to University of the Pacific in Stockton, which is not as close to Newman, but I see the <laughs> sign. I would see the sign as I drove up to Stockton. Like, ah, Newman. They spell it funny because my, my, my best friend in college, or one of my best friends in college, uh, Susan Newman, spelled it with a W, and then oh. and spells it with a U. And N-E-U-M-A-N. of course, the best Newman is Seinfeld. Hello, Newman. That's how I would say her name, too. <laughs> Hello, Newman, because her first name was Susan. So I just. Newman. Yes, Newman. <laughs> Uh, because her email address was snewman619. So despite the fact that you are a uh, geography expert of California, what else would we possibly have to talk about with Amy? Ah, you're asking me or you're asking Amy? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, what dragged me, actually, it didn't drag me, uh, but I dragged Amy onto the show because Amy, who I know through work, that, that day job I really love to do, yeah. uh, turns out Amy got... Uh, dared by her supervisor to do a TEDx San Antonio talk. And that was this year, right? In April? Yeah, I did it uh, March of this past year. March. I was so close. That's awesome. San Antonio, that's big time. Yeah, it's bigger than TEDx Corpus Christi that imploded the next day. (laughs) Still bitter about that. (laughs) It's okay. That was supposed to be a trend. (laughs) It It didn't work. There was supposed to be a video and everything, but no. Uh, Anyway, Amy talked about a topic called compassion fatigue. She could describe it better. Uh, but it had a lot to do with people who work in nonprofit organizations, healthcare. Uh, Amy herself, you worked in, uh, if I remember correctly, CPS. I actually worked for um, a juvenile probation group home. So we yeah. had children who were part of the CPS system, and then we also had children part of the juvenile system. Oh, so close. That's, that's <laughs> wild. And, and that is a terrible 
uh, or terribly uh, exhaustive type situation yeah. too. I know that I don't know how much uh, you know about what we've done and stuff, but we've done men's ministry and I'm a pastor and we've been in church ministry for years and years, but we did an inner city campus here in Corpus that uh, was just constant. It was, so when Jerry first mentioned your expertise and kind of your field, I thought, oh, yeah, that is compassion fatigue just makes so much sense. Because I remember right after I left that, after two years, I just felt like I'd lost a thousand pounds. It's just the weight of the world comes off. Of yeah. And we know people who are pursuing their dreams right now in the nonprofit world. They want to end domestic violence. They want to end uh, breast cancer for women who can't afford mammograms. They want to end something in a social justice sort of way uh, or just in a big way. And after a while, though, it just takes a toll on them and you, you see them burn out. And Amy's topic is so spot on to what they need to hear so they don't burn out, so they, they can rejuvenate themselves. So, Amy, you want to tell us more about compassion fatigue? And, yeah, I think we're diving right in. What yeah, that means? <laughs> absolutely. So, I, I think it's interesting, Jerry. I really like what you said as far as, you know, people have, who have these passions for social justice or for what would be called a helping profession. I first got into this, I was, I think, maybe 20 years old. Um, and I started working at a juvenile facility in Missouri. I remember I celebrated my big 21st birthday. A lot of people probably remember their 21st birthday or maybe don't remember <laughs> yeah. the end of their 21st birthday. I clearly remember mine. I woke up at 5 a.m. and I helped the fifth grader who was in my, in my juvenile home because she was about to fail school again. And oh. so I helped her study and then I got them all to school and then I went and taught at and then I came home and I made all of these, you know, five teenage girls and one baby. One of our girls had a baby. Uh, made them all dinner and then took them all to church and then helped with homework and then they gave me a cake. You know, that was my 21st birthday. <laughs> That's a party right there. There you go. <laughs> you know, so very untypical that I spent, you know, so many years serving these young girls. And, and the first time when I transitioned to something else, I was just at the end, so emotionally, physically exhausted and actually physically sick with diagnosable illnesses from my doctor. I thought that was just a coincidence. Uh, Then I got into that same career several years later, uh, went back into juvenile facilities, helping again, and suddenly after a few years, I'm starting to see similar physical illnesses, starting to have a similar emotional and mental exhaustion. So compassion fatigue, is, it's often a surprise. For so many years, people didn't even know it existed. The only thing we knew is that people would get burned out at the end of helping people. And so we called it burnout. Right. But compassion fatigue is actually a PTSD-related symptom, or it's similar to PTSD, but you receive this vicariously. So you're the secondary target of trauma, not the primary target. So how do you be the secondary? It's because someone else who was traumatic, who had a traumatic event, you're consistently caring for them. Maybe you're hearing their story. Maybe you saw the trauma firsthand, but it's not your trauma. And so it attaches in your brain and creates PTSD, but you weren't the primary target. I know a lot of people in children's hospitals and dealing with uh, children's cancer centers and stuff like that talk a lot about that. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that really 
makes people in a helping profession like nurses or doctors, um, another one is first responders, counselors, teachers, right. anyone who cares. It makes you susceptible because generally people in a helping profession have an extra dose of empathy. And empathy is that ability to pick yourself up and put yourself in someone else's shoes. Right. The problem is you don't always get to decide when to jump out of those shoes. Oh, yeah. And so their traumas become your traumas. And I would imagine to some extent, too, you're almost helpless. You're not, uh, you're not able to do anything. So like in the case of the five-year-old that you were talking about, uh, or the, I think of the fifth grader, I guess that was about to yeah. go, you could only do so much before your, your, your resources are kind of tapped out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's interesting when you mentioned her, I think of her, um, I know her story later in life, and, and it just got more difficult wow. and um, even more tragic. And there's just, you're right, there's not a lot that I can do from my end. And so sometimes your brain takes those things and holds on to them. Sometimes we are able to process them and let them go. There are practical reasons why sometimes we're not able to process, but sometimes your brain just holds on because it holds on. Right. And to some extent, do you maybe blame yourself later on as you find out the story just got worse and and maybe you should have stayed, you shouldn't have taken another job or maybe got married or or started a family, whatever it is that happened, you start to kind of blame yourself. If I'd have just stuck around a little bit longer, I maybe would have been able to change something. I think a lot of people definitely do that. They take on too much weight for other people's lives as if it's their own. Um, fortunately, I have a fairly healthy balance and I've been able to see, you know, as much as I want to help people and I want to care about people, I want to serve them and take care of them. At the end of the day, it is still your life. That's so important too. I know a lot of us, especially having worked in a church and, and done some of those things, there's so many people, you, you never have enough money or time or resources or ability to save everybody. So you have to prioritize. And at some point you have to just stop and say, okay, I've done everything I can do. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to caring with people, there have been times, you know, there was probably in, in my younger years where maybe I took on a little bit more responsibility for other people. But as I've matured and grown, I have even purposely separated myself from people that I wanted to keep helping, that knew that I wasn't actually helping them anymore. That's hard. It takes real maturity to realize me out of your life is better for you than me in it. You know, it's better for both of us because I'm not going to be healthy doing these kind of things. And we talk a lot about, you know, our show Beyond the Rut and how you can break out of that. I think a lot of people stay where they are because they feel a sense of uh, just guilt and, and responsibility for the people around them. And if I break out, then maybe I'm making somebody else feel bad about not following their dreams. So it's almost the same thing. It's like you're purposely hurting yourself because you don't want to hurt somebody else. You're taking too much responsibility for other people, like you said. That happens a lot where we become a martyr for other people. And one of the main things I talk about in compassion fatigue is you only give out of who you are. You give what you have. So if you don't have anything to give because you keep self-sacrificing, you keep not taking care of yourself, then eventually you have nothing left to give to people. 
I hope this doesn't come out wrong, but I think it's predominantly kind of a female thing that 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 mom in you that that kind of that female gene is is wanting to save the world and help as many as possible and 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 women tend to take on that responsibility for the people in their lives and their family and you kind of own that already kind of naturally you carry a lot of that around have you come across any data on that amy um i don't have a lot of data on that what i do know is that compassion fatigue manifests differently in every person, right? So generally in women, we're very empathetic. We want to save the world. But men kind of want to keep everything in control, and right. they want to solve all the problems. Exactly. And so it's it's a similar issue. It just manifests differently. Yeah, I'm thinking about a guy that we know um, back in the days when Brendan and I were in a men's ministry together. Uh, there was a gentleman in the leadership group with us who was leading our furniture ministry. So he would gather furniture from people who had excess furniture, and he would basically furnish the homes of people who just lost their home to a fire, lost their home because an abusive husband kicked out the wife and the children. And uh, it was great and noble when he first started. But then you fast forward a couple of years, and he was just at the end of his rope. His his own spouse was frustrated because he was spending night and day trying to gather furniture. Mm-hmm. He couldn't muster up help to pick up furniture with him and drop it off. And so it basically became a one-man show after a couple right. of years. And we had to tell him to step down. We had to basically kick him out for the, for the good of his family. Uh, and so I, I could see compassion fatigue there setting in because he was frustrated. So uh, I, I was thinking about a man who could have been going through it. That's a great idea. Um, That's a great example. What are some ways we would know that we're experiencing compassion fatigue? Because I'm assuming we would go through it and not even realize it until it's almost too late. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash Capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, Back to the show. Yeah, compassion fatigue can manifest either from one particular instance, the one traumatic event that lodged itself in in your brain, or from an accumulation over time. And one thing I like to say is that we tend to make up lies when we're feeling (laughs) stressed or even when compassion fatigue starts to set in. So, you know, we're really great at lying. We're great liars. We say things like, I'm fine. I do this all the time. Mm -hmm. I know this would normally stress other people out, but it really doesn't stress me out. I love what (laughs) I do, you know. So we make up lies. The thing is that our brain and our body still picks up those traumas, still picks up that stress, and it actually starts to give us little hints saying, I'm not okay. Right. So for the stress side of things, when you're starting to feel a lot of stress, you're going to have little signs like maybe you're more clumsy than you usually are, or maybe you start um, forgetting things when normally you have a really great memory. Maybe you're not able to communicate as well as you normally do. So that's kind of what stress does, right? 
Right. It changes who you naturally are. Now, these are very small changes, so you need to pay attention. Because if you're not paying attention, slowly but surely, who you are begins to change. It's similar with compassion fatigue, but some of the signs and symptoms manifest a little differently. So, would they start to get a little bit more intense, some of the emotional indicators of compassion fatigue would um, actually mimic what looks like depression. Right. There were a lot of sadness, maybe anger, irritability, um, prolonged grief. You're very anxious. Maybe you're feeling numb or hopeless. Um, and then personally, you start to isolate yourself. You start to become cynical and pessimistic and push people away. Maybe you start self-medicating, whether that's through abusing drugs, alcohol, food, sex, relationships. And then there's physical indicators as well that start to come in. We know that from the research that compassion fatigue can lead to a weakening of your immune system. So you start to get the cold or flu-like symptoms. You can even have that anxiety type symptoms, headaches, stomach aches, dizziness, um, being tired all the time or having sleep problems, not sleeping at all or sleeping all the time. So there's really a variety of ways that manifest. And what we're looking for is basically a change in your normal hardwiring. So who you naturally, normally are, begins to change. And that change has lasted probably more than six weeks. So it's not you had a bad day or someone upset you and made you mad. It's that your hardwiring, who you are, is changing and sticking. So this is something that that the people around you can even notice? Yeah, I think those who are very close to you, they start to notice. Oh, okay. Um, And... Generally, people love you, and so they don't say something for a while. So it's going to be, man, you've been real grumpy for the last few months, or you really have pulled away from everyone, and you're not talking to anyone. You've skipped the last four birthday parties. Right. I was going to say, I think one thing that uh, my wife noticed whenever I was with the inner city campus was since I was doing something, she said this after, you know, we walked away and, and, and kind of recovered from that was she said the reason she didn't speak more into it was because I was doing something important. So mm-hmm. what I was doing was good. You know, I wasn't like always fishing or hunting or, or doing something negative. I was doing something for God. I was doing something good. So she felt the need to not speak into it and say, you've got to slow down. You've got to stop. You've got to make some changes. So that led to the fact that, you know, I never saw that in myself because like you were saying, the people closest to you notice. But I think with compassion fatigue, as opposed to something else where maybe you're drinking too much or you're playing golf all the time or whatever it is, it's a good thing that you're doing. They tend to not want to speak out about it and say something Mm -hmm. negative. Yeah. Who wants to sit down with you and say, you know what? I really think you're loving people too much. Right. You're giving too much. Yeah. Um, But here's what happens. This actually leads, this is one of the symptoms of compassion fatigue is self-entitlement. So self-entitlement is a justification of your negative behaviors because (laughs) of the positive things you do. Right. So it's, hey, you know, you've really just been distant and disconnected from our family. Not here. You're not helping us anymore. We barely see you and your children don't know you. And then the justification is, yes, but I'm helping all of these people. And it's a great work. So you're justifying negative behaviors because of positive things. 
I know whenever I told my, she's 15 now, so she would have been about 10. Whenever I told her that I was stepping down from the church, she was in the back. Say, I'll never forget it. We were sitting at a red light and we were, as my wife and I and her, we were talking and uh, I told her and she was in the back seat and she's like, yes. And we thought she was going to be upset, you know, and and she's like, so you're going to get to be home like more. And Mm -hmm. I actually took the summer off because I just hadn't been home enough. And uh, just her response told me so much about how deep I'd gotten into it. Mm -hmm. You know, how does that speak into getting out of the rut? And, And, you know, I think what this says is you can be doing something really, really good and it still become a rut for you that that you don't realize you're deep into that rut. But maybe the people around you do your husband, wife, friends, you know, that maybe notice you're pulling away from that. And. I learned something from Amy that there's there's burnout and then there's compassion fatigue and there's an actual difference there right. that is helpful for you listening to to know. Amy, can you tell us about that difference between compassion fatigue and burnout? Sure. Compassion fatigue is a state of tension and preoccupation with traumatized survivors. It's a work-related secondary exposure. So Work not necessarily what you get paid to do, but work as far as what your objective is to help people. So that secondary traumatic stress is about being afraid. So it starts to change you. People who are experiencing this become overly vigilant. For instance, this happens to child protective service workers. They become overly vigilant, believing everyone's out to hurt them and their family. Mm-hmm. And so it changes you by making you consistently afraid or changing how you think about the world. Whereas burnout is a state of extreme dissatisfaction with your work. It's a work-related hopelessness and a feeling of not being effective. Burnout's about being worn out. Burnout's about not liking what you do anymore. And so what we often tell people ask themselves to differentiate between burnout and compassion fatigue is, do I love my work? Not do I love my boss or my job or my office, but do I love the kind of work I do? Right. And if the answer is, yes, I absolutely love this, I would do it anywhere, then there's a very good chance when you start to hear some of these symptoms and signs we've been talking about and you're experiencing those, it's a very good chance that it might be compassion fatigue. If you feel like, oh, I don't like the kind of work I do. I don't want to... Um, or at a juvenile facility. I want to bake cakes. That's <laughs> right. burnout. Right. So how did you end up uh, doing a TEDx talk in San Antonio on this particular topic? Well, I ran uh, a leadership training. So once a week for five weeks, our newly promoted or newly hired leaders at Christmas came in and um, we taught them leadership training. And so I consistently gave them a homework assignment. Now, one day we had a little extra time, so I did about a 20-minute little segment on compassion fatigue because they all work in a hospital. It's very relevant for them and and the people who work with them. And at the end, they said, have you ever thought about doing a TED Talk? And they said, "Um, no, because TED's for people who are really famous. I'm just Amy. (laughs) (laughs) And I I just help people and encourage people and motivate people and help people love their work. I'm not really in my eyes, a TED speaker. And they said, we think you should apply for TED. And you've been giving us homework, and we're doing everything (laughs) you're telling us to do. So you need homework. So this year, you should apply for TEDx San Antonio. So I thought, well, 
it is a little hypocritical to be giving you homework and not <laughs> come out of this change. So I went ahead and I applied for the TEDx, and um, it took quite a bit of guts on my end. It was difficult. You had a 90-second video, um, and you guys will know this, but a 90-second video is very <laughs> difficult to make. It is. Were you praying the whole time everything. that they would not accept it? <laughs> You know, I really did want to do it. And so I was going to be genuinely very disappointed oh, if, if they didn't accept it. That's good. Um, the funny thing is, the day I got the phone call from TEDx San Antonio, I was at a conference in Dallas, and FedEx had messed up our order. I remember this. All these awesome. papers, all this huge um, order for this conference. And so in the middle of the conference, we'd already fixed it all. We'd you know, totally killed all our coffee machines by making it all ourselves. We worked till 10 p.m., got up at 4 a.m., all of that. And so in the middle of this conference, I get a call on my cell phone. It's also, of course, because I'm a real person, so real life happens. <laughs> it's also the day that my, um, I think she was about 11 months at the time, my 11-month-old daughter, her eardrum had ruptured for the second time. Oh, wow. We had just seen the ENT the day before. So it was this very high-stress <laughs> emotional day. And I get this cell phone call, and it says, Hi, this is Kelly from TEDx San Antonio. I thought she said FedEx. And so I've got a little bit of an attitude. Like, uh, what do you I've need, been wanting Kelly? to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> you messed up our order. Um, and she says, you know, we thank you for applying for TEDx San Antonio. And if you're so interested, we'd love for you to be a speaker at our main event in March. And it just stopped me in my trap. And it was this huge emotional switch. Like, oh, I'm not mad. Oh, I can. Oh, this is great. Yes. And then you have to play it cool, of course. Right. Yeah. So, oh, sure. I was. Yeah, no problem. I think I'm free. I can do that probably. <laughs> and, and play it off like you weren't giving her attitude, yeah. thinking right. she was somebody else. I have nothing going on. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to double check my calendar, but sure. <laughs> uh, that is awesome. I I love that attitude of, you know, just I'm I'm doing good things and I, I'm challenging other people, but am I challenging myself? Am I putting myself out there to accomplish something or maybe even fail at something, but just to, to challenge myself? And that's what this podcast is all about is, you know, don't just listen to Amy's story and think, well, that's great for Amy. She's probably awesome and everything comes easy. But how can you take what you've heard and what you've learned to challenge yourself? Because if you walk away from a podcast with a good story, then that's okay. But it, it's not going to change you unless you put some of it into action. And I love the fact that you took what they said and put it into action and went ahead and applied. Yeah. Now, some doors have opened for you since that TEDx talk, right? Yeah. So I'm really lucky to be able to continue to get invitations to speak. I have a conference coming up in Vegas um, in the next few weeks, and I won't be speaking about compassion fatigue, but I'll be speaking about leadership in the workplace, loving what you do, because I genuinely believe you should absolutely love your work, that it should come as a an abundance overflow of the passion in your heart. And so getting the privilege to do that and have also done a lot of compassion fatigue seminars and some other classes as well. And I just love it. It is one of my favorite things to do, to be able to talk to groups and people and just see real human beings who give their entire lives to help people and having the wonderful privilege of maybe getting an hour or two hours with them 
to give back to them. And the pinnacle of becoming, you know, a podcaster now on Beyond the Rut, you're speaking to millions of people right now. So that, that's probably, would you say, the highlight? I mean, I know you've got four, <laughs> four and a half kids now, so it's probably the highlight of your life. <laughs> I would say there's lots of highlights in my life. It's, uh, it's really, I'm really blessed. Sometimes I look at my life and I think, I don't know how I got to be here but I, I feel so blessed that I am. Now, I feel like we're leaving somebody hanging because we talked about compassion fatigue. We talked about burnout and then we switched over to your TEDx experience. And so there's probably somebody out there who is wondering, but what do I do if I realize I'm suffering from compassion fatigue? How do I, how do I stop it? What do I do to take care of myself? Could you give us a quick tidbit or, or tip on how to do that? Yeah. So what the research has shown is that there's actually something called post-traumatic growth. This means that you can actually come away stronger after trauma. You can be a better version of yourself, which the truth is it kind of defeats the purpose or the definition of what trauma is. Mm -hmm. Trauma means you sustain such a blow that you are a lesser version of yourself. And so it actually became um, something that, that... researchers couldn't quite understand why are these people stronger than they were before these horrible events. And what they found is each of these people who achieved post-traumatic growth implemented five resiliencies. Now, this is every day making sure you're working on these five resiliencies. And number one is physical resiliency. So things like making sure you're sleeping enough and eating well and exercising well. This doesn't mean join Gold's Gym. It could mean take the stairs instead of the elevator, or go for a walk around the block, or just a little bit more activity. When you do that, your brain registers a victory. And we need our brain to register victories because we're quite aware of our failures every day. Another resiliency is spiritual and social resiliency, things like prayer, meditation, relationships. These things don't have to take a lot of time. Meditation could be taking a step back and and processing or evaluating your day. Um, Maybe praying on your way to work, or texting a friend and saying how much you care about them. That kind of gives you that power boost. You have emotional resiliency, things like laughing and crying. Your body releases endorphins, which are your body's feel-good chemicals, whenever you cry or laugh. In fact, when you laugh, your blood vessels actually open up, and it can help reduce your chance of a heart attack. Also, um you get that power boost again. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for these little power boosts, these physical, social, spiritual, emotional resiliencies give your brain that power boost. We have psychological resiliencies. This can be as simple as telling myself I'm going to dust my dresser when I get home. And if I actually dust my dresser, my brain registers a victory. Maybe it's as simple as making your bed every morning. And so these simple resiliencies that you actively work on every day, start training your brain that you are stronger than the trauma. And it also shows your brain, your body, your soul, that you have more control in your life than the world wants you to be, and that you're not a victim, that you can be a victor even after trauma. And I think that's really good advice, even if you don't 
maybe feel like you've gone through something is just every day will yourself to accomplish things. Don't don't say, you know, I'm going to run 100 miles or I'm going to save a million dollars or whatever, but will yourself to do the things that you know will build upon that. You know, maybe you're going to walk around your house, walk around your block, walk a mile or whatever it is, but do something every day that that you can show power over your your body wanting to shut down or your brain saying you're not good enough. Push yourself to do something every day. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Cool. So, Amy, things are going great. You, you had a TEDx talk. You're getting calls. How can people contact you if they want you to come speak at their conference, uh, whether it's at a state level, national level, international level? There we go. Speak that one into existence for you. So what's the best yeah. way to reach you? best way to reach me is just send me an email. You can email me at amylincunningham at gmail.com. And if you feel that someone in your life has compassion fatigue or needs to learn about this, or maybe you can't have me come speak, there is that 12-minute TEDx video out there, and that's for free as well. I'd love to come speak to you and your team, your people. But another resource that's already available on the internet is that video. And the best way I know to find it is just Google or search being Amy Cunningham and the word compassion fatigue. It will be the first video that pops up. We'll also put the link in our show notes too. So if they make their way to our website, if you make your way to our website, you'll see it there. Excellent. Brandon? I'm I'm searching now and it did come up. The Cost of Vicarious Trauma by Amy Cunningham on YouTube. It's a good video. It's really worth watching. <laughs> well, thank you, Amy. I'm, I'm so uh, appreciative that you joined us and uh, that we got to share some just really valuable information with the people out there that maybe you're just facing something. And go watch that video, check it out, and just talk to somebody. Get connected to somebody and maybe just ask them, hey, am I the kind of person that maybe she's talking about? Should I address this? Am I doing something that could be harmful to me long term? And the people around you, the people that love you, will be able to help you with that and and share some good knowledge. Thanks so much. And uh, we just really appreciate having you. Well, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for joining us for Episode 63 of Beyond the Rut. You can catch the show notes for this episode with Amy's contact information at beyondtherut.com slash 063. If you haven't subscribed to us yet on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music, what's stopping you? Get over there right now on those apps and subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. If you like what you heard, the best way you can support us right now is to share us with a friend, a family member, your neighbor, your coworker, anybody you think would benefit from this show, you share it with them. All right, we'll catch you on the next episode. Three, two, one. That was just for you, Brandon. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Capshow team today and join me inside that community.